Welcome back to The Feeding Pod. This is Brie. And on today's episode, I'm accompanied by Allison Ware. She's a speech-language pathologist and certified lactation counselor. Today's episode, we're going to deep dive into all things thickener and aspiration. We're going to go through the different types of thickeners, the pros and cons to each that might help you make clinical decisions about what thickener would be most beneficial for your patient. We're going to talk about the International Dysphagia Diet Standardization Initiative and go through the testing methods. We're going to talk about motor learning principles and how this can support weaning a child off of thickener, as well as the systematic weaning protocol. We finished today's episode with some case studies that discuss how we took children from being on a thickened liquid diet back to thin. This is something that Allison and I both feel very passionate about and that we really truly feel that when you get a patient that comes to you that's on thickener, your first plan of action should be, how can we get them to thin liquids? So without further rambling on my part, let's dive right into today's episode. Welcome to The Feeding Pod. I'm Brie, your co-host. I am a speech-language pathologist and certified lactation counselor. I work with infants and medically complex patients with PFDs in the home and outpatient settings. I enjoy building relationships with families and I'm a firm believer in providing interdisciplinary care. I also love providing mentorship and support to upcoming and new clinicians on pediatric feeding disorders. You can find more about me on my Instagram at pediatricfeedingslp or on my website, pediatricslplibrary.com. And I'm Olivia, co-host, registered dietitian, nutritionist, and certified lactation counselor. I work in a pediatric clinic where I get to divide my time between working as a CLC and an RDN for infants and children. I enjoy being able to help caregivers navigate through these difficult times that include the newborn phases all the way through the teenage years. I feel that my personal experience from having a newborn who's now a toddler and a child with special needs, including a feeding disorder, really come into play. We are here to bring you multidisciplinary, evidence-based information that is easily accessible about pediatric feeding and swallowing disorders. We understand firsthand the importance of collaboration and how difficult it can be to navigate the ever-changing information on assessment and treatment of pediatric feeding disorders. The Feeding Pod is here to provide research, support, and a dash of comic relief. Now, let's dive right in. Disclaimer, all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. This is intended to be educational in nature and does not replace the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment from a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome back to the feeding pod. This is Brie. And in today's episode, I'm with Allison Ware. Hey, Allison. Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, why don't you give just like a really brief intro of who you are? Yeah, my name's Allison. I live in Austin, Texas. I work in early intervention. So birth to three. I am a certified lactation counselor, which is recent and very exciting. Yay. (laughs) I love all things pediatric feeding and swallowing, as you know. Yes. Awesome. Well, I am so excited to have you. It's kind of fun having a, a close friend on the podcast too. (laughs) 
So this is going to be fun, but okay. So real quickly, y'all, we're going to go over types of thickeners. We're going to talk about pros and cons. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, treatment strategies to get a kid off thickener. So first and foremost, when and why is a thickener recommended? Yeah. So usually a thickener is recommended post-swallow study. It's really important that we don't thicken at bedside. We always want an instrumental and we'll go into more of those reasons later on. Um, but at the end of the day, we don't have x-ray vision. We don't know if the thickener is going to help their swallow. Sometimes it can make it worse. Um, so aspiration on a swallow study is one reason why thickener is recommended and then also consistent penetration. And I feel like this is one way where the adult population and peds population is very different because in the adult population, you really see SLPs advocating for a least restrictive diet, even if they're penetrating on, you know, every single swallow, the aging swallow, the physiology changes over time. Um, and penetration in the adult population isn't as um, scary, I guess, as in pediatrics, because we do have research in pediatrics that shows consistent penetration does tend to lead to aspiration. Um, so my hospital in my area uses the guiding principle. If there's penetration on over 20% of swallows, then they do see if thickener is helpful for the swallow. Again, it's not always helpful, um, but that is one of the things that they will trial. I don't know, Brie, in your area, what is the trend there? Yeah, they, they follow very similarly. So if a child has um, more than 20% of what they, they usually on the reports as deep penetrations, then they will go ahead and say, okay, let's try, try the um, liquid at a thicker level and see if that, so if they, you know, thicken and they're like, okay, at this level, the child didn't have any episodes of penetration. They're going to want to start them there, especially if this child has a history of respiratory stuff going on. Definitely. Um, and then the only time I see thickener sometimes recommended without imaging is if there is significant reflux. So if this babe is vomiting after every single bottle, um, you know, they've tried reflux meds, they've tried positioning, um, and nothing is working. Sometimes I have seen, uh, the GI doctor or dietitian, um, we here have a GI team. So there's a dietitian, GI doc and SLP all together ma making decisions, so I have had sometimes where they'll recommend a thickener just to see if it resolves the reflux. Um, and then they don't do an instrumental for that. Um, I do think that can get a little bit murky because sometimes if we are in a GI clinic, we most likely have a G-tube and sometimes we have a G-tube because we're aspirating. And again, we don't know if the the thickened liquid is going to make that aspiration worse. Um, maybe it'll improve it. Um, and we don't want them aspirating the thickener. Mm -hmm. I think too, with the, you know, thickener for reflux and, you know, the research shows us that like it, it can very well be beneficial, but I think sometimes for us as like SLPs, we're like, 
seriously, like, what about like, we think about motor learning principles and what, you know, the child, are they going to now compensate their swallow? What if we go back to thins, like what's going to happen in that realm? And so I think, you know, that's where it's important to work as a team as well. Cause sometimes it'll be maybe not the whole feed is thickened or not every single feed is thickened. So the child's still getting that thin practice. Uh, so they're not losing the skill. Yeah. You, you just read my mind. That's one of the things that I was going to, uh, say as well. Um, oh, there was something else I wanted to mention, but now I, I lost my train of thought, but maybe it'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> Reflux. Okay. So moving into the different categories of thickeners, what we can use to thicken liquids. And, uh, this is, this kind of starts getting into the <laughs> nitty gritties of, you know, the different types, as well as some of, I guess, you know, the pros and cons of each one. Yes. And we should probably mention we have no affiliation with any of the brands that we're going to mention. Um, we did kind of pick a few that are most commonly seen in the pediatric world, but there are other thickeners outside of the ones that we're going to talk about today. We, we kind of pulled it into categories and we will list some brand names, but there are others that fall into that same category. Yeah. More so category is like what the thickeners main ingredient is um, is what we're thinking about. Right. All right. So our first thickener, which is most common, um, especially in our infant population are cereals. So rice and oatmeal. The reason why these are so popular is because they're really, really affordable and easily accessible. So you can go to the grocery store and pick up, you know, Gerber oatmeal or Gerber rice or, you know, beech nut or, you know, there's a million brands that you'll find in the baby food aisle. Um, so I find that this is usually the first line of defense because people are able to get it. Um, it should be noted that thickener in general is sometimes not covered by insurance and that can get really costly very quickly. Um, so if a child can use cereal, then that's what I find to be recommended. Um, another benefit of cereal is there's no age restriction. So as we talk about some of the other thickeners, they do have age restrictions um, and Cereals sometimes do cause constipation. So that is, can be a con for some kids who have really, really runny loose stools. This could kind of be a pro because it might thicken up their bowels a little bit. Um, but for kids who already may have trouble with emptying or, you know, slow motility, this may be a major con for those kiddos because then they may not take in as much orally if we're constipated. We know that usually when kids are constipated, become a little more picky and take in less volume because they're uncomfortable. Um, another con is that it can create an inconsistent mixture. So anecdotally in my practice, I found that flow testing can be really challenging due to the syringe clogging. So we'll be like five mLs into the ITSY flow test and then the syringe will clog and it's like, oh, dang it. So we then we have to do it over and over and over again until we get a full 10 mLs um, through the syringe. Um, uh, Brie, have you noticed that in your practice yeah, as well? Yeah, I, I do. I find that... Um... 
you know, while it can be beneficial in terms of like affordability and accessibility, and a lot of times parents like to think of it as like the more natural option a lot of mm-hmm. the time that I find if, you know, we have a child that is like at super high risk for aspiration pneumonia, especially, or um, they have, you know, a history of it, it can be challenging to make sure that they are consistently getting the thickness that they need to, because we just are unable to test it as accurately as I would like. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I find here too, with scoops, like scoops can really vary by caregiver. So maybe mom does a really, really packed scoop, but then maybe dad's scoop is a little more loose. And even though it doesn't seem like a big difference, it can cause a really like big change in the consistency. Um, so that's just something to be really mindful of is how are we measuring it to where it can be really consistent across caregivers who are preparing bottles. Mm-hmm. Um, another con of cereal is it can't thicken breast milk. And unfortunately, this is something I see a little too often in my area. Kids will come to me. Mom has expressed breast milk and she's using oatmeal or rice to thicken it. And that unfortunately does not work. Um, And we'll talk about some other options for thickening breast milk. Um, One con on rice specifically is that there is some research about arsenic levels in rice. So if a family is going to choose rice cereal, just making sure that they're choosing a brand that has no or low arsenic in it. And then of course, oatmeal is the other option. And just anecdotally with oatmeal, I find that one tends to just be a little more lumpy and inconsistent than the rice, but that could just be me. Um, You do have to pulverize the cereal prior to mixing it. And I think that's another thing that parents sometimes kind of forget that step because they're just not taught properly. It's nothing against the parents, but you know, we as speech pathologists, dietitians, whoever, just really need to educate families on how to properly mix these. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think too, one that would be a little bit of a con, especially if you have an, a child that's over 12 months would be that like, you're not using this with water or juice or any it's, it's milk and formula. Yes. So there's exactly. that limitation to it as well. Yeah, for sure. So if at 12 months, like you said, when they're transitioning, if they become interested in apple juice, we can't just thicken the formula and milk. <laughs> we need to find a way to also thicken the apple juice. And this is another thing that I see sometimes in practice is parents are told, okay, whenever you give them formula, thicken it with, you know, X, you know, thicken it with oatmeal, thicken it with rice. And so they're like, okay, they're diligent about thickening that formula, every single bottle. And I'm like, okay, what other liquids are they drinking? Oh, like they love Gatorade or they love water or they love apple juice. I'm like, what are you using to thicken? Like, no, I was told I only had to thicken the formula. So I think this is another one where we just really have to be good about educating when recommending thickener. It is all liquids. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that falls like not, not to the fault of the SLP that did the swallow study, but it's just that lack of education. The parents aren't sure what's going on. They have to quickly move the patient on, go to the next swallow study. You know, there's a lot of factors. And so that's why I feel like for the SLPs like us who are in home or in the community or um, outpatient setting that then get this child, that's always why I preach. Like the first thing I do is I'm like, what are you thickening? How are you thickening? Show me how you do it. And like provide that education first, because it may not be what it's actually supposed to be. (laughs) 
For sure. And I don't think it's the, like you said, the modified SLP or fees, whatever study was done, not educating. I think those appointments can be really overwhelming and sometimes, to be honest, traumatic for families because if a child is having trouble participating, you know, they're upset, you know, that environment is not the most natural one. And so I feel like a lot of times when my families go in, they're looking for pass fail. Like we're not really in that moment hearing anything else. We want to know if our child has quote unquote passed the test. And we know that swallow said these are not pass fail. It is an assessment of physiology, but parents in my experience, see it as a pass fail. And that's what they're, you know, wanting to hear in that moment. And so you're right. I do think it is the community SLP's job Um, And, you know, the burden is on us to really sit down the family and walk through step-by-step what happened, what the recommendations were, you know, maybe when we're in a better, less stressful headspace. Um, And so requesting that swallow study report is really critical and, uh, you know, establishing good relationships with your hospital SLPs, in my opinion, is a must if you're going to be seeing kids with feeding and swallowing difficulties. I agree. Cause if you have a parent that went in for a swallow study and they get a report that isn't what they were hoping to hear or that they wanted to hear, we can't expect them to be a good historian of what they just learned. Like, it's just, we cannot expect them to bring any of that information back um, because they've just been through something that's probably very difficult, especially if this you know, on top of, is this their first swallow study ever and their child was eating and then now they aren't allowed to have anything except pudding or, you know, it just, I think that, yeah, we have to keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. We can't expect it and we shouldn't expect it. We're the medical professional. We should be the one getting the medical records and not just taking whatever a parent reports because it's not their burden to have to tell us every single thing that's gone on with their child. And some of these kids have really complex medical histories. Um, So it's our job to seek that information. Agreed. Okay. Moving into the next (laughs) category. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Xanthan gum. So the most common one you'll see in my opinion and my experience is simply fit. Bree's nodding her head. So I guess her too. Very, very common. Yeah. Uh, there's some pros to Simply Fit. So it's super versatile. So you can do carbonated beverages, cold beverages, hot beverages. Um, I think you can even like freeze them and make popsicles. I think they have that recipe on their website, which is kind of fun. Um, And they're super stable over time. So you thicken it and it'll stay at that level for a good period of time. And I I think um, Koo and colleagues 2019, I think they included this in their study. So we'll link that in the show notes. And it's a really good study on different thickeners. Um, so those are the pros with Simply Thick. Um, there I are- with that pro of it being more stable over time, that's a huge pro for kids that are in school. Um, that like the parents don't have to feel that the teachers or aides or whoever has to thicken their liquids. They can kind of pre-mix and then send it, send it with them. 
And another pro that I find with Simply Thick is the directions are so easy, especially if you get the pre-measured out packets. Mm-hmm. It is literally dump it in there, stir it around and let it sit for a couple minutes. So it is pretty much foolproof. Um, even if you do have to trust another daycare provider, whoever to do it if needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always volunteer for parents to put me in touch with the like daycare workers or teachers or whoever. And I'm like, if you don't feel comfortable teaching it or relaying that, just let me know. And yeah, I'll hop on a call with them. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. That's one of the, that's been one of the best parts about finally going back to in-person services is we're able to go into daycares and kind of lift some of that burden off of the parents. Cause I had a lot of parents, you know, pre-thickening stuff for their whole day. Um, Cause they weren't sure if the daycare providers, you know, would be trained in it. And so now I'm able to go and, you know, I can check in flow test, make sure it's, you know, looking good, train them on how to flow test. Um, So that's been beneficial for sure. Um, Unfortunately though, with Simply Thick, I do not use this with my kids because there are some caveats with it. So you are not supposed to use it with children with a history of neck which is necrotizing intercolitis. Um, For those not familiar with neck, it is a disease that inflames the intestinal tissue and causes it to die. This can sometimes cause a hole in the intestines, which causes bacteria to leak into the belly. So it's, it's really dangerous. And there has been some research to show a potential link between simply thick and the development of neck. So of course, correlation does not equal causation, um, but there has been quite a bit of research looking into this so much so that simply thick had to put some warnings on their product that just said, do not use with a child who has a history of neck. And most recently they changed their formula it used to be simply thick now it's simply thick easy mix and i believe the concentration is now two and a half times of the original simply thick product and so used to i believe it was do not use with children under the age of two without um you know consulting a healthcare provider and now it says do not use in infants or children under the age of 12 without consulting a healthcare provider and so 12 this years, not yeah, 12, 12 years, 12 years. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so even though it is possible to use it with the kids under the age of 12 years, um, there are other options out there. And so I just tend to go with the other options that don't have these warnings. Now, when a kid is over the age of 12, doesn't have a history of neck, et cetera. I think simply think is a really good option because of its versatility. You know, if they want to go to a birthday party and they're having Dr. Pepper, they can easily be included in that social activity. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely a great product for our older kids. Yeah. And I agree. If a family comes in with a child who's on it, that's under 12, um, then I'm usually going to ask about the history and stuff. Cause sometimes the provider that not always the provider that made the recommendation, but sometimes they just go into the pharmacy and the pharmacy just gives it to them. Then they're just not aware of what's going on. Or the pharmacy maybe isn't paying attention to the age of the child. Like that's just what they have on hand. And so they just give it. And so, you know, providing that level of education too, of like, Hey, maybe let's see if we have another option that we can go for. 
for sure. Um, and just to go back to that coup article that I mentioned earlier, um, I would highly recommend looking at it because part of their study, they looked at the effect of stomach acid on the thickener. And one thing that they found was that Simply Thick has a tendency to precipitate, which is a chemistry term that just means it has a tendency to turn into solid. And so they predict that this may explain the potential link between neck and Simply Thick. It's going in as a you know, half nectar, nectar, but whenever it's hitting that stomach acid, it's turning into a more solid substance. And they have pictures on there demonstrating it. They do gel mix, Simply Thick, and I think um, thick and clear, maybe there's one more that they demonstrate. And it's just really cool to see the different um, images. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, and then Simply Thick just has a really great website. It's a great resource. There's recipes on there. I think they have a lot of Etsy resources as well. So I uh, highly recommend their um, customer service is really awesome. They're, uh, they seem very generous with giving samples to try it. So um, yeah, cool. Ready awesome. for our next one? <laughs> yes, I'm ready. Okay, so carabine is the next category of thickener. So the thickener that falls into this category is Lovely Gel Mix, which made all of our breast milk dreams come true, I think, because before Gel Mix, we really didn't have an option. I do believe Simply Thick does thicken breast milk, but again, you can't use it for yeah. kids, for young <laughs> infants. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of like a conundrum. If we have a thickener that will thicken it, but we can't use it because of this age, age requirement. So then dun, 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 here comes Gel Mix and save the day. Um, Gel Mix is great because it's hypoallergenic. I find that a lot of our babies who are, you know, preterm, medically complex, have some sort of allergy or intolerance at some point in their early months. Um, I usually see like a dairy intolerance, sometimes a soy intolerance. So uh, gel mix as corn, dairy, soy, and gluten-free and GMO-free. Um, like I said, it can thicken breast milk, formula, and water. Um, the only tricky part with gel mix is that liquids do need to be warm to 100 degrees or you need to use freshly expressed breast milk. Um, that temperature is adequate. Um, and this is something that a lot of families don't quite realize if it doesn't get to that temperature, the thickener is not going to be activated. It's not going to work. Um, after mixing, we have to wait until it reaches the desired thickness. And I found anecdotally that there is a really huge range on when it's gonna get to half nectar, nectar, et cetera. Um, like I'm working with a little one right now and mom has to leave it out for about 40 minutes before it gets to nectar thick consistency, which is a really long time. Um, so yeah, and that makes me just wonder, like we know that breast milk, every breast milk is different, right? The composition is different from person to person. So it makes me wonder if that can be a factor with there being a really big range with gel mix. I don't know, what have you seen yeah. in your practice? No, I've seen that as well. Um, and I'm curious as when you say that too, like I wonder if each person's, not just like each person's breast milk being different, but like throughout the day, how different 
breast milk composition can change. And so be curious to know if there's certain times and then I'd love, I would love to know like, okay, well, what was the composition at that time where it was faster versus not as fat, like, you know, the, the protein fat carb. Yeah. (laughs) No, that would be actually a really good study, Brie. We could like, you could just test it with like a single person at first and just have them flow test, you know, at each time and, you know, write down how long it took for it to Okay. That's your next project because you're not already busy. (laughs) Yeah. I'll add that on there. (laughs) Oh man. Well, last thing on gel mix, uh, healthierthickening.com is their website and it is another really good resource. They are so consistent with linking to the research, which I really appreciate on their brochures. They have, um, you know, citations on it. Um, they have really great customer service. They give free samples. Um, so yeah, I've always had a really good experience with, um, using gel mix. Yeah, I have as well. Um, quick question after someone thickens with it and it reaches a desired thickness, how long do they have until for them to use it within 24 hours it needs to be used. Yeah, I just wanted to put that in there because it sounds like it could just keep getting thicker. But yeah, so this is another one. Reach the desired thickness and then, but still within 24 hours. Yes. Um, One thing to mention though is there was a recent recent article by Goza, um, and she it was actually on the Informed SLP, and um, they found that gel mix was actually the least consistent with, with thickening. Um, you know, they tested, I think nine different formulas. Um, they did not do ITSY flow testing though. They used, um, I can't remember the test that they used, but it wasn't ITSY. So just something to be mindful of with gel mix is I would flow test every single time just to make sure that it did hit the consistency that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great point. All right. Next one. All right. So the next category of thickener is Terra gum. Um, the brand that falls into this category is pure thick, which is made by the same company who made gel mix. So the company is called Parapharmatech. So whenever you go to healthierthickening.com, you'll go to the Parapharmatech website and both gel mix and pure thick will be on there. This one is also hypoallergenic. And it is approved for 12 months and older. Um, It can do hot and cold liquids. So this would be a really good option for those where they're transitioning off formula or breast milk and they're wanting to introduce juice or I guess juice and cold water. Yeah. So gel mix can do warm water if it's up to that hundred degrees, but um, yeah, if they want to do like cool water, I mean, we're in Texas, you're in South Carolina, we all like a cold glass of water. Mm-hmm. Um, then this would be a good option. Um, it's not recommended with carbonated beverages though. It will thicken it, but then the drink will lose the carbonation. So there's really no point. Um, they do recommend using a blender bottle as well to mix it. So I do feel like this one requires a little bit more training. It's not as in my experience, user-friendly as Simply Thick, where you just dump in the packet, stir, let it sit for a couple minutes and go. Um, 
But again, this is a great option for those little ones who are over a year and um, are transitioning to other liquids. Mm -hmm. I find this is often a good one when you have a child who maybe was using like the oatmeal or rice cereal to thicken and then you want something like sometimes I'll find that this is also one that's transitioned after 12 months when they're not using that anymore. For sure. Also going from gel mix to pure thick because there's parents are used to using the powder. Um, and so pure thick is no different than what they've already been doing. Yeah. Which is great too, that it's the same company. So you can kind of have the, the option of them. For sure. Um, okay. Two left. <laughs> All right. Uh, cornstarch. So a common brand, there's a couple out there, but the most common one I think is Thicket. Um, so Thicket thickens formula and other liquids, regardless of temperature, it does not thicken breast milk. Um, Thicket does rapidly increase in viscosity and then continues to thicken over time. So this is where you'll see on social media, like um, SLPs who work in the nursing home and they dump over the cup of coffee and it stays in one spot uh, because it's thickened so much where it's almost like solid. Um, so that is a tricky thing with Thicket. Um, it's also, it's approved for kids over 12 years, but with healthcare provider approval can be used in kids over two years if needed, but it absolutely cannot be used with kids under the age of two. And so again, this is one where I'm like, you know, we have Purific as an option, so I'm not going to jump to Thicket. Um, that's not going to be my first line of defense. Um, another interesting thing to consider with cornstarch-based thickener is there was a really interesting article by Nativ Zeltzer. I hope I pronounced her name right. I always feel like I'm going to butcher it. Um, in 2017, and as sad as this sounds, they made um, rabbits aspirate. So they did um, water, they did cornstarch, and then I believe they did xanthan gum. I think that was the other one they did. And so they made these rabbits aspirate and then they killed them and dissected them to look at their lung health. And they found that, well, what was interesting for some of the rabbits, they didn't even have to kill them because they died when they aspirated the cornstarch thickener. Um, and so as brutal and awful as that sounds, it does give us a lot of information about the potential impact that aspirating cornstarch thickener can have on your lungs. And so, especially for our kids who already have a complex respiratory history, I would absolutely not recommend a cornstarch-based thickener. Really, I've never in my, never say never, but as of now, in my five years of practice, I have never recommended a cornstarch-based thickener. Um, I'm sure the day will come at some point when it is needed or recommended. Um, but for the age group that I work in, it's just not the most appropriate. Um, Brie, have you ever recommended a corn search? No, I've never recommended. I've also never, never had a kid come in on it, honestly. So no. Cool. All right. The last one. Yes. The last, and I like debated to, if we should even talk about this one, cause it is so controversial, but I think it's worth bringing up though. Cause it does happen. Yes. So. That's why I was like, okay, we'll just talk about it. Um, and there are some like very 
strong opinions and strong opinions from like some pretty big um, systems out there that are using this. So I, I hope there's more research and information available soon because I would love to know more. Um, but right now there really isn't research. I dug through the research to find support for using purees as thickener and there really is nothing <laughs> that I found and I looked pretty hard. No. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's controversial in that nature that people are doing it, but we don't have research. And I think this is where that evidence-based triangle can sometimes get a little murky. Um, how much weight do we put on clinical experience? Um, if we have other evidence-based options like gel mix, like cereals, should we go for those? Um, so it's just a conversation I think we need to be having as a field in general. Mm -hmm. Um, but some, one time that I have seen purees be an option, and this is where that client or family perspective was included, of course, in that dyad, no, not dyad, that's two, triangle, triad, <laughs> triad. that's the yeah. word I was looking for, <laughs> oh man, um, so of course, we always want to consider the family perspective. And I live in Austin, which is a pretty like hippie town. And some of my families really want to go for natural options, which I totally get. Um, it, we want to respect that at all costs. Um, and so for those families, I have seen them use like sweet potato puree, banana puree, um, yogurt is sometimes used to thicken, um, but the tricky part of it is that it's inconsistent. So again, when we were talking about the cereals, a scoop of rice is going to be different if mom does the scoop versus dad or another partner in the home or another caregiver. And same with um, using purees. Mm -hmm. And so it's inconsistent. I find that there's a lot of separation. I'll look at the bottle or the cup and there's like a chunk of applesauce on the bottom and the liquid's all at the top or there's stuff floating on top. Um, flow testing can be challenging with this because again, it's like going really, really fast and then it stops and slows down and it goes really, really fast. So I just never really know what thickness we were able to achieve. Mm -hmm. um, however, cost is, also, is a benefit here. So if the family is really wanting a more natural option, I do always educate them about gel mix and purithic because they are made from organic ingredients. And so I encourage the family to, you know, research those. Um, and then if they want to do purees, we talk about how can we make it the most consistent across caregivers. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think for me, my, my biggest, um, I guess, reserve against it is that if you have a child that is aspirating, we have confirmed aspiration, why would I use something that's inconsistent that they then may be aspirating? Um, it just, if I'm thinking about building skills and the swallow and that, you know, aspect, then that's kind of where I advocate for using a commercial thickener whenever possible, because it's just so inconsistent and we just don't know. And Oftentimes I find these are the kids that are still sick all the time because they are sometimes just getting like a slower or a faster 
consistency than they're prepared for or that they can handle. And because of that inconsistency, they never really build up the skill to tolerate the faster because sometimes it's fast, sometimes it's really slow, sometimes it's clogged and it's not coming out at all and they have to suck really hard. And so, and so um, and then they're uh, sucking really hard, the clog gets, you know, out and yeah. then it's like a flood of liquids. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's just the inconsistency is what gives me a lot of reserve with it. For sure. So, um, okay. So that's all of them. Went through cereal, xanthan gum, carob bean, tarragum, cornstarch, and purees. Um, really quickly before we go into weaning thickener, I wanted to bring up idsi um, and sort of the testing methods when we're talking about it. Uh, so IDSI, for anyone who, who doesn't know, is the International Dysphagia Diet Standardization Initiative. So previously, you have probably heard of or used the NDD, which is the National Dysphagia Diet. So when you hear nectar thick, honey thick, that's what's being referred to. With IDSI, they um, really separated it into five levels of thickness. When we're thinking about liquids, I'm not talking about the solid side. I'm just talking about the liquid side. Um, so on the base level is thin. Then we have slightly thick mildly thick, moderately thick, and extremely thick. And we think about extremely thick, that's puree level um, of food. So way up there. So with IDSI testing, Allison, do you want to kind of talk about how we test these liquids? Sure. So with ITSI, there is one syringe that is standardized for ITSI use, which is the BD 10 milliliter. You can get them on Amazon. It comes you like, get a- like 230 yeah. bucks. Like. Yeah. It, it, I think it only comes in the pack of one yeah. or 200. It's 200 or you don't get any. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, can I just get one? <laughs> can I get like 10? No, not an option. No. It's all or none. (laughs) Which is fine because then I just hand out syringes to everyone. I'm like, here, I taught you to test. Now you keep these syringes. Yes. (laughs) I feel like I'm Oprah. Like you get a syringe, you get a syringe. Everyone gets a syringe. (laughs) Um, So you fill up your syringe to 10 milliliters and you hold it with the tip of your finger so it doesn't come out. You set a timer for 10 seconds. The second you press start, you release your finger, let it run for 10 seconds. The second the timer goes off, you plug the syringe back up with your fingertip, and then you count how many milliliters are in the syringe. So if there's nothing left in the syringe, that would be a level zero or thin. If there's one to four milliliters in the syringe, that would be a level one or slightly thick or with the national dysphagia diet, that would be half nectar. Mm -hmm. And then if there's four to eight milliliters left in the syringe, that would be a level two or mildly thick, which is commonly known as nectar. And then if there's eight to 10 milliliters left in the syringe, that would be a level three or moderately thick, which would be honey. And then um, if if nothing came out, that would be a level four or puree. Yeah, and Etsy is a great resource because they have a lot of color coding with it. They have like tons and tons of handouts and videos and resources to give to families. And so I find this really helpful. And as we mentioned before, with the inconsistency of um, 
like what thickness they're supposed to be at. How is the family actually mixing it? This is something that immediately I introduced to the family. Um, a little tip that I have found helpful is when I am measuring, when I'm filling up the one syringe to the 10 ml, oftentimes I use a second syringe to plunge and then I pour it into the other syringe to get it exactly at that 10. Yep. Otherwise, sometimes people are like, so I just need one syringe. And I'm like, I mean, you could, but I find it a lot easier to you like syringe the other one and then put it in. Yes. I do the exact same thing. It is so much easier. I used to just use one and I would, you know, plunge it. And then I would try to take the plunger out and then you'd have to pull it really hard and it would be a mess. And then I was like, okay, we'll just like pour it in really slowly. And it's like, nope, now I have half an ML too much. And so yeah, using two syringes is definitely the way to go. And like we said, you get a pack of 100. So you can you can easily probably uh, give out two syringes to each family that you're, you're doing this with. Definitely. And kind of going to my comment from before, the reason I, I love IDSI is that consistency testing has been done with this method. And that's really important, like mm -hmm. really important when we have these kids that are at, that are aspirating and, you know, have medically complex histories. They may be immunocompromised. They already have compromised lung status. Like it's really important that we're making sure that before we work on weaning them, we have established where their thickness level is supposed to be. Yeah. And I always recommend to families to flow test before every feed, which sounds excessive, but I always tell parents like, do you have 15 seconds? Because that's literally how long it'll take to flow test it, to make sure your child is getting what they need. And usually when we frame it in the sense of like, you know, this is for the best interest of your child. We are doing this for safety. It's not us trying to be difficult. Like we know you're busy. You have a lot of things on your plate, but it's 15 seconds. Um, and usually parents are like, okay, we got this. Um, yeah, I agree. And it, it's just the best way to know. Cause like you said, the temperature of the liquids a little bit different that day. If the, you know, they sh shook it or mixed it slightly different. Like there's just so many variables that can go into play that you're better off to just make sure that we're, we're in that range that we need to be. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we know how to test. We know the different options. What do we do about it to get a kid off thick enough? Yeah. So I feel like this is most parents goal. Like let's get off of this thickener. Thickener tends to be pretty expensive, uh, doesn't tend to be covered by insurance. Sometimes it is, but it's more rare than not in my experience. Um, so we'll- I hope this also is a goal of all therapists. Yes. Oh, for um, sure. And I think to what we're presenting, unfortunately, the, which as we know from research, it can take is on average seven years to reach, um, the like the common, masses. yeah, the masses. And so this is a little bit of newer research that's come out, although it is ingrained in a lot of the like motor learning principles we've known for a very long time. Um, but I hope it, I hope it inspires some people to, to look into it more. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, so Walter and colleagues, 2018, this is, I believe, out of uh, Boston Children's because Kara Larson was also on here, who is an amazing SLP. Uh, she does a lot of GI research with Dr. Daniel Duncan. Um, so highly recommend looking into any research done by that team because it's really impacted my practice. Um, but this particular study looked at a group of 50 kids. And what they did was every two weeks, they reduced the thickener by 10%. If there was no signs or symptoms of aspiration, they'd wait two weeks and then reduce by 10% again. If at any point they did show signs and symptoms of aspiration in the study, they did have like a evaluation by the team again to kind of see what was going on. And they would go back to the previous accepted level that was tolerated. And then, you know, maybe a week later, try to decrease again and see if it was then tolerated. Um, and so in the study, they had 50 kids and 88% were able to reduce the thickener amount and 78% of kids were able to be completely weaned from thickener. And I love this study so much because they didn't even do traditional dysphagia therapy. They didn't do NMES or vital stem, they were able to get these results by following the principles of motor learning. And I just think that's so cool. Um, these parents, I believe, I, I reread the study last night and from my understanding, they just did parent education and was like, hey, here's the, here are the guidelines, here are what signs and symptoms of aspiration looks like. If you have issues, call us, reach out. Um, but they weren't meeting with an SLP every single week, sitting in a treatment room to decrease by 10%. Um, again, they did meet with the team if there was a stall in progress or they were starting to show signs and symptoms. But I just thought this was really incredible. And it made me think about the things that we sometimes put kids through during therapy. And is it necessary and is there a less invasive option to potentially get the exact same result and potentially a better result? Mm -hmm. um, because we are using that neuroplasticity and uh, principles of motor learning. Um, so I think this just brings the point, since we do know this research, we need to present all dysphagia options to parents. I get a lot of scripts from doctors saying, hey, this kid was aspirating, you need to do vital sim. And so, yeah, and they're telling the parents, hey, the only way they're ever going to eat again is if you do vital sim. And I am vital sim trained. So I do have that clinical experience when we're thinking about our triad again. Um, I have the clinical experience. If family wants to do vital sim, you know, that's, that's their choice. Uh, the evidence piece, they're is quite a lack of evidence with vital sim. There are a couple of unicorn studies that show some improvement with vital sim, but I think sometimes the methodology is a little off. Um, but most of the research that I read was that there was really no difference when vital sim was used or not. Um, and this is NMES in general. Vital sim just tends to be the most commonly um, used one in pediatrics, there's e-swallow, um, vital stem, uh, AMP care is more used in adults. Um, 
but guardian, I think is another NMES. Um, but a lot of times that whenever I'm reading these NMES articles at the bottom, it says like, we don't know what the potential future contraindications are of using this modality on an infant. And so I think we're doing parents a disservice when we are recommending a modality where we don't know how this is going to impact their child. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I get these recommendations or a parent comes up to me, Hey, the doctor said we have to do, you know, NMES. I always first tell them, well, you don't have to do really anything. You have to keep your kids safe. You have to do X, Y, Z, but in terms of treatment options, you are the parent, you have the right to choose. And so I think that's where it's our job to take our clinical experience and say, and take the evidence and factor in the client perspectives and say, these are your options. This, these are the pros. These are the cons for both of them. And then allowing the parent to choose because that's their right. Yep. I agree. And I think then going back to the physician with the research and saying, Hey, <laughs> you know, maybe this is because I think sometimes it's just like, it sounds like the new technology, the new thing we should be doing. It sounds great. Like let's move forward with it. And maybe they've heard about it from someone else, but you know, then also just, you know, pulling into the professional side, like it is also our responsibility to then have that conversation of like, Hey, I presented this to the family. This is the route we're going to be going. Like, I just wanted to share this with you and why these choices were made. Yeah. And I usually, you know, when working with a medical team, we usually come to a compromise. So, okay, I'll give you three to six months to do your thickener wean if you think you can do it. And then in three to six months, if we don't see any progress, then we are going to try vital sim. And then at that point, I feel comfortable trying vital sim because then my internal evidence has shown that the thickener wean did not work for this child. And so then we do have to go to plan B and really outside of the thickener wean and NMES, unless I'm missing something, there's really nothing else to really target the pharyngeal phase of the swallow. Yeah, when um, we think about those like, exercises that are used with adults and like it's not really applicable to the pediatrics (laughs) yeah if unless they can cognitively follow directions right if you have a seven-year-old maybe who can follow directions you can maybe teach them an effortful swallow or super super glottic swallow but for our two-year-olds I I, like demonstrate an effortful swallow and they would probably like, I don't even know, growl at me or pretend they're a dinosaur. I don't know. But no, really though. Mm-hmm. I think the only other thing I would add, and this is something that I have taken the, you know, this is an example of kind of integrating the, the parts of the evidence-based triangle of what evidence shows us, but is limited. And then taking my clinical experiences, sort of doing a modified Fraser free water protocol. Um, so with the Fraser free water protocol, you know, a lot is put on the, the adult in those situations and those studies to say, Hey, make sure you're taking small sips, make sure you're using a skinny straw, make sure you're those sorts of things, but they're welcome to do water at any time. As long as they're implementing oral care, they're not doing it, um, within 30 minutes after a meal. And so with pediatrics, again, 
they're not going to follow those directions and know to pace themselves and all of that. So um, I often will implement it as in a modified way where, first of all, we want to make sure all of these kids have a good oral care routine. We want to make sure that that's being covered because, um, you know, the pillars of aspiration pneumonia show us that that is one of the high indicators for risk of aspiration pneumonia. So we definitely want to implement that, but on top of it, kind of saying, all right, well, while we're systematically weaning, let's do some sterile water trials and allow this child the opportunity to practice that skill we are hoping for them to achieve at the same time, but doing it in a more structured manner than just Fraser free water protocol. So that as we're also reducing, it provides another level of therapeutic intervention, taking into consideration motor learning principles and neuroplasticity. For sure. And, you know, in addition to water, another thing that I'll sometimes use is express breast milk. Yes. Because we know that that has, you know, similar like properties in the sense of mostly being reabsorbed by the body, not having the lung trauma that sometimes comes with like the ingredients that are in other um, like unnatural, um, you know, products that we have in our, in our world. Um, but yeah, that's, that was a really good point. Anything else we want to say about thickener wean or NMES? I don't think so. I feel like that covers, I think, I think we covered it all. So we can cool. kind of, kind of quickly go through some case studies where we've implemented this. Yeah. You want to go first? Or you want me to go first? I'll go first. Okay. All right, so this little one was a previous 32-weeker. She had a four-week NICU stay, and she was aspirating thin, so she was placed on Nectar Thick with Gelmix. Um, Mom was really passionate about using express breast milk, and she really wanted to breastfeed, and, you know, looking back, I, I wish some different things would have been done to help mom, like, help support mom on that journey a little bit more, like, potentially using a supplemental nursing system or just something to help with that journey because this mom was so amazing. She pumped for 12 full months, um, never once bringing baby to breast. And I just think that is the definition of a superhero. <laughs> so uh, super kudos to her. Yeah. Um, so right after discharge from NICU, she saw a different home health therapist. They started having some insurance issues, so they switched over to early intervention. And at this point, she was four months adjusted age. So she was six months chronological. Um, when she came to me, she was using Thick and Clear. Um, actually, sorry, no, she was using Thicket, um, which is that cornstarch-based thickener that we mentioned earlier that is not approved for kids under the age of two. Um, so whenever I talked to mom about this, I was like, hey, like, tell me, tell me about Thicket. <laughs> what's, what's the story behind Thicket? Because I had seen in her paperwork that they were prescribed gel mix. And she's like, you know, we ran out of gel mix. I went to the pharmacist and this is what they gave me. And I was like, okay, well, just so you know, like there are some contraindications with using um, thicket with this age group. So, you know, let's talk about getting back on gel mix. Are there any barriers to obtaining gel mix, et cetera? And she's like, you know, our insurance is just really giving us a hard time getting gel mix. And 
you know, out of pocket paying for a thickener for an infant who's using it all day, every day is a little pricey for us right now. You know, I'm staying at home with her. Um, you know, we are in the middle of a pandemic. So there's just a lot of stress layered on. So I reached out to Dysphagia Outreach Project and I was able to get gel mix through them. Um, and so then we use gel mix for the express breast milk. However, bottle feeding still wasn't established. And this was four months adjusted age. And we know that once we get to this age, if bottle feeding isn't established, all of our reflexes or most of our reflex for most kids have been integrated by this point. So like the suckling reflex, uh, rooting reflex, those things may have disappeared by this point. So trying to continue to work on bottle feeding, especially when at this point it's been worked on for six full months, um, it's just probably not going to happen for this little one. And so we switched to open cup and straw drinking. She picked it up within like a month and it was super successful. So once we developed that skill and she was consistently drinking her nectar thick breast milk with gel mix, I then reached out to the physician to initiate a thickener wean. He approved it. And then every two weeks we decreased by 10%. We did have one stall. It lasted just, we stayed at one level for three weeks instead of two. And then we just continued on and she was cleared for thin liquids after, I think it was about three and a half months is how long it took us. And, and it varies here. So 10% every two weeks, it is slow. <laughs> it is, it is not a fast process, but that's good because it gives the babe time to time their swallow and accommodate that faster flow. Um, so yeah, that was my, my really rewarding um, thickener wean case. And we didn't use vital stim or um, anything else. We just, we just did the thickener wean and we did some pacing and such, but yeah. That's awesome. That's so exciting. Um, okay. So my kiddo was born at 30 weeks. Um, it was an emergency C-section and um, they had HIE at birth, very medically complex, um, unknown genetic disorder, um, just lots and lots of things going on. Unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of birth history because this child was adopted. So a very limited information up to this point. So child came to see me at two years old, um, had been seeing a feeding therapist and just due to like scheduling conflicts, moving stuff, you know, those sorts of things, um, established care with myself and is now two years old and is eating anything pureed, smooth pureed, but we're not doing anything outside of that. And in terms of liquids, we are on honey thick or moderately thick level three. We're thinking about Idsy on a Dr. Brown's level four bottle nipple. Um, and we have a diagnosis of laryngomalacia and, um, or excuse me, not laryngomalacia. We have a laryngeal cleft and we have a tracheal cleft both. <laughs> um, so we got a lot going on and that ultimately when, um, the child had difficulties at birth with feeding, that ultimately is what led them to having 
the swallow study done that showed that they were gonna be on honey thick, moderately thick um, liquids. And shortly after birth, they were on a thickener with a slower flow nipple. And so they've, they've worked up to where they're at now and they are on a formula still, it's a toddler formula, um, but that's all they'll drink. They refuse to do anything else um family wants to stay as natural as they can with thickeners so they're currently using um rice cereal in the toddler formula so it's really thick coming through that bottle nipple um and even within that at this point in time there hadn't really been any talks of like how to get off the thickener most of the talks were how do we advance the food skill level so we're on purees how can we get them to accept a chunkier texture how can we you know move through that so when we talked about okay where where are we at in terms of thickener one of the first things we did as i mentioned before is the itsy test so okay where where are we at when we actually test this liquid and what the parents had been mixing with the formula actually showed we were more at the mildly thick level so we were a little bit lower which is more that nectar level than the parents had even realized and the child wasn't getting sick he was doing you know okay with it once in a while we had some like gagging um, we had other gi stuff going on that would cause vomiting but overall was was healthy at that level so we said okay we'll keep it here but then we're going to slowly work on weaning it down and so with this child we you know slowly started to reduce how much and what's interesting about this case is it was before i was made aware of the walter at all article um so i was like we said taking what we do know about um motor learning and neuroplasticity principles and so we were doing something very similar but it wasn't like exactly 10 percent. i want to say it was closer to like maybe seven or eight percent that we were reducing and it was more like every week um unless the child showed something so it was like a modified version but same concept in terms of like we were slowly decreasing thickener and um with this child we were able to wean all the way down to thin um, using this method. And I, I also like to bring up this child because this was one where we got to the end where the bottles were like eight ounce bottles and mom was like barely sprinkling in any of the rice cereal, but she was so afraid to take it totally away because he'd had this long history of, you know, chronic lung, we have chronic lung disease. We have like all these other things going on that she was like, I'm I'm scared because even though he's been healthy and he's doing well off of it, like it's been such a hold for so many years. Um, and so what we did was we had her mix the formula with the amount she was using at that point, And we did the testing together so she could see it's at thin um, and you don't have to. And so we worked on that. And as I mentioned, this kid had a lot of other things going on. So at the same time, we were working on skill building. We were working on honestly, just taking a straw and open cup like can we just have it in our our general area for a while before we even worked on like while we're weaning the thickener then we're kind of introducing those other ones but you know you don't want to like target too many skills at once I don't think so you don't want to like switch them to a straw at the same time you're super weaning them like 
if you want to switch to a straw, switch to the straw on the, you know, honey thick, then you can start weaning because otherwise you're, you're using completely different types of skills at the same time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one thing that I want to touch on that you mentioned that I really liked is you said you didn't have that article and you were doing the wean. And I think that's such a good example of in pediatrics, we do have limited research. It's growing, but it's still limited. However, we can use philosophies and bigger ideas like neuroplasticity and principles of uh, motor learning to develop evidence-based treatment plans. We don't have to have an article that says, swipe their lips three times and make them munch up and down 10 times. Like it's so arbitrary. As great Um, as that would be. Right. (laughs) Not real. (laughs) Yeah. It's not a cookbook. Um, One other thing that I want to mention, because we talk about this a lot Mm -hmm. is after completing a swallow study or after completing the thickener wean, do you recommend a swallow study? Yeah, I was actually going to bring that up. So with this specific kid, we have a laryngeal cleft and a tracheal cleft, okay? At this point, there hadn't been any surgeries done, um, and they were kind of just monitoring to see how things were going. So as we worked through the wean, let's see how things go. And at the end of the wean, it actually, it took almost a year from like where we were at. Um, So like this does take a while, but by the time we, we got there, it was like, I I take it back. It was like nine months when it was total because it was almost time for this child to be three years old. And the ENT had originally put in a follow-up swallow study in a year, regardless of what was going on. That was just their plan. Also because the child has clefts that they want to check on. So I ended up calling the ENT and was like, Hey, I know you scheduled for a swallow study. I just want to let you know, like we've been on thin for like a month. I don't notice any difficulties. We're doing really well. Um, you know, if you want to do this, because you want to check structurally, like maybe just scope, but I don't think this child needs a swallow study. And the ENT was like, okay. And just like took it off and was like, if we don't see any of those overt signs, then I'm not going to put the child through this because the first one, well, the child had had quite a few, but the most recent one was like very traumatic for the child and the family. It was horrible. Like, and so in that case, it was like, no, we didn't have to. However, when this child was four, um, they ended up doing a swallow study because they were trying to decide if they wanted to do surgery or not. And they were like, from a protocol standpoint, we're like, we want to see a swallow study before. So if we choose to do surgery, we can see if the swallow changed after. Um, and so that was kind of their reasoning for it. Cause at that point in time, the child had been on thin was doing water, juice, milk, like whatever. Um, and from all kinds of, you know, different drinking mechanisms, but yeah, I want to hear your thoughts too. Cause I know it kind of changes based on where you are. Yeah. So in my area, we are very swallow study happy, which people are like, okay, that has nothing to complain about. We're over here fighting for swallow studies. And I agree, but also don't because if it is not clinically indicated, I don't see why we would waste the hospital's resources, the parent's time, put a child through a test that can be challenging and they're drinking barium for them yeah 
And then it's like, you know, we've done this whole lean. What if they penetrate like 21% of the time, but for the first half of the swallow, swallow study, they were screaming and crying. Like, is that really? And then an they accurate... ended up just syringing the liquid in their mouth and exactly. it like, cause they just want to get an image and. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, this actually happened with one of my SMA babies. We were like halfway through a wean and there was already a swallow study scheduled. And, you know, we talked about pushing it back, but they're like, no, we want to just see where he's at, do a check-in. And he got there. He, they recommend that they're PO um, until the swallow study, but his swallow study wasn't until 1 PM in the afternoon. So this little two-year-old had to wait all day. He got into the swallow study and this little one loves to eat. So he was like chugging this (laughs) barium. He actually did fine on thin, but he aspirated on half nectar and then aspirated on nectar, didn't aspirate on honey. So the recommendation was honey. And we had, we had weaned him to about a a half nectar level. We hadn't completed the wean fully. And mom was really, really distraught. You know, he was, he wasn't showing any overt signs, no respiratory complicate, anything. And so you know, we continued with our wean. We just, you know, picked up, I emailed or I called the doctor and I was like, Hey, she was so kind. I was like, Hey, you know, he's been doing so well on our half nectar. I know the swallow study recommendation was honey. Um, I will monitor him every week. I'll check in with mom every other day if you want me to, but can we still stick with half nectar and continue our wean? And luckily she was very trusting and um, supportive of that. And he, got approved for a thin a couple, like a month or so ago. And so I think that's just such a good picture of a swallow study is such a snapshot in time. And it, it's not necessarily representative of what they can do at home with their, like that is very specific to pediatrics, but that's what we're trying, you know, that's what we're talking about. And so like in adults, it's totally different. Like I can control myself and go into the suite and like get my swallow study done, but it's totally different for a child is the parent. Sometimes the parents not allowed to be in there to feed them. It's like very unnatural. It just, and like so the that's seating where, is like the tumble form chair is, you know, sometimes too big, sometimes a little too small. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One time I had a mom and she was pregnant. So she couldn't be in the swallow study suite. And so there's just so many factors, um, that go into swallow studies and I'm all for a swallow study. I want to know what's going on too. However, I think we really have to do some critical thinking before just recommending them willy nilly. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, any other thoughts? I think that's it. I appreciate you. This is such a good episode. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in on today's episode. We hope you'll continue to follow us along as well as reach out and follow us on Instagram at the feeding pod. If you enjoyed this podcast, we hope you'll take a second to leave a review. If you want to get Ash's CEUs for listening, plus more courses and resources, visit pediatricslplibrary.com. Wherever you are, whoever you are, we hope you have a great day.